pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, and Lord, we're thankful that even the world stops and takes notice of an office that you created called Father. And Lord, we ask that you would give us grace to serve you and to live for you, to recognize you as our Heavenly Father, and Lord, that we would live for you in this world below till you come for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And you may be seated. And turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter 2. We'll be looking at several different passages uh, this morning. Uh, today is Father's Day, and just as on Mother's Day, we take time to recognize the great sacrifice and great uh, gifts that mothers give to us. So uh, we wish to do uh, a similar thing today. Uh, the word Father in its various forms is found in 1,500, 1,517 verses in your King James Bible. If God refers to something once, that makes it important. Amen? 1,517 times in your Bible the word Father is used, uh, many times to denote family, uh, Thirteen times the phrase, uh, God the Father, is used uh, in, in our Bible to help us understand about God. And one of the great problems that we can find in our society today is traceable to the fact of a lack of influence and a lack of the presence uh, of fathers in the life of their children I mean, even Freud, as perverted and as wicked a man as he was, understood that many of the problems we face today can be traced back to when you're a child growing up, the relationship you have with your parents. If we could get a hold of this one truth today, your children do not need an education. They do not need uh, goals. They, they do not need PlayStation and cable television. Uh, your children have one need, one need above all. That's parents. Because you stop and think about it. If there was no mandatory education at all, as there was at one time in this country, colonial America, there, there was no mandatory education. And yet the average person on the street could pick up a newspaper with uh, the um, <clears throat> Federalist Papers and some of these founding documents. They could read the Declaration of Independence and even those that might not be able to read the document for themselves had a level of understanding that when those words were read to them, they understood what was being said. Now we have people with degrees that can't even read the diploma that they've been awarded. How, how do you send a kid to school 12 years and have them graduate with a diploma that says 
other than academic. Uh, What that means is you are functionally illiterate and, and that mathematical skills are below standards, but you still have a diploma. You graduate. How could you do that? Our New York City public school system does it every year and will continue. We, we live in a world where people, if it's on the Internet, they believe it. Uh, I've often used this. Uh, it was a study that was done uh, years ago. They took a group of people into a room and they sat them in a chair that was wired for an electrical shock. And, and it was not a pleasant thing. I mean, it was the kind that jarred your teeth. It was... Yeah, it was painful. Uh, it wouldn't hurt you, but, I mean, it'd shake you up pretty good. And they made each one of the test group of people sit in that chair, and the doctor pushed the button and zapped them. So they understood that uh, what was happening here was not a pleasant experience. This was not something desired. And then they took one of the persons out of the group, and they strapped them in the chair, and the uh, person that was in charge of the group said, now I want you to zap them. And nobody said, everybody looked at him and said, you got to be crazy, that hurts. And then a guy walks in with a lab coat. He says, I want you to push that button. Nine out of ten people pushed the button knowing they were hurting the person sitting in the chair. Because a guy with a lab coat told him what to do. You know what that is, my friend? That's conditioning. You see, that's what's happening in our society today. We're not being educated. We're being conditioned. Now, there's a cure for that. And we celebrate that cure on Father's Day. Because that's God's cure for conditioning. You know, Sigmund Freud was, was a terrible, terrible man, but he wasn't wrong about everything. And God spends a lot of time in this book called the Bible talking about fathers. In fact, he wants us to understand him based on that relationship. And we're going to start here in Hebrews chapter 2. And we're going to find out some words here. And I've tried to make it so we can remember this. All the words will start with the letter C. The first word that we're looking for is children. Uh, You really can't be a father until you have children. It's kind of important there. And uh, and honestly and biblically, children come after you're married. At least nine months after you're married. Uh, that's the way it's supposed to be. And that's the way God had intended it. And we come here to verse 9, and it says, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. For it became him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, 
in bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one. For which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Do you get what's being said here? The same God that sent Jesus is the same God that forgives us for our sins. The same God that sent Jesus to pay for our sins did so, so that He would never compromise His holiness and yet never restrain His love. Only God could do that. Can we say amen to that? And this thing here, this verse, I I never fail to read it, and, and it just doesn't make my mind stop. The end of verse 11 here says, For which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Could you imagine Jesus Christ, the King of glory, He is not ashamed to call those that have been born again the Bible way as his brothers. To identify with us as family. I think it was Mahatma Gandhi said, I would be a Christian if it weren't for Christians. You know what he was saying? He's saying... I live a better life than most people who call themselves Christians, and that ought to be good enough for God. That's blasphemy, my friend. You know what Jesus said? In spite of the fact that we sin, in spite of all of our failures, in spite of the fact that we do not become sinlessly perfect when we name the name of Jesus, He's still not ashamed to identify with us sinful people who have been washed in His blood. Can we say amen to that? God doesn't give up on us. There are no limits to God's love. God is greater than all of our sin. Jesus died one time to pay the price for sin. It says that He should make the captain of our salvation perfect through sufferings. There is no man that cannot come to the Lord Jesus Christ. No woman that cannot be saved. But in order to be saved... You must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Romans 8.29 says that God has a plan. It says, For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. That, that's why we're called Christians. Identification with Jesus Christ. Now, I want us to get back to Hebrews chapter 2 here and and pick up reading in verse uh, 12, saying, 
saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the... What's that word there? Let's try it again. In the midst of the... Oh, I thought Hebrews was written to the Hebrews. Yeah, it was. But it's written to the church. It's written to everyone that believes on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The book of Hebrews is for us to read and to study. And it says, saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the church while I sing praise unto thee. How many of you enjoyed that song service this morning? Is this your story? Blessed assurance that Jesus is mine. Have you... Have you ever stopped to think of how many people who claim the name of Jesus cannot sing that song? Because their faith offers them no assurance of a salvation. Even the Calvinists who who have made famous the perseverance of the saints, the fact that you can never lose your salvation, the only problem is it's a salvation they cannot know they have. You see, if you believe the Bible, it says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. But the Calvinist says you can't do that. God has to do it for you. Do you see how foolish Calvinism really is? How confining it is? It's just, if you want to understand Calvinism, it's a lawyer's explanation of God. Now, how many of you would like to trust a lawyer with your health care? Well, that's what Obamacare is. I don't know how it's working out for you, but it's not working out very well for me. It costs twice as much as it used to with half the care. How many of you want half the God with twice the problems? Well, that's what Calvinism does. And God is trying to explain something here. We can be born into His family through the power of Jesus Christ. His suffering paid the way. But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God. Even to them that what? Believe on His name. Do you remember the day you believed on His name? Uh, then we ought to assemble together. And we, we ought to sing these hymns. And, and we ought to give praise and glory to God the Father in the midst of the church. And let's look at verse 13. And again, I will put my trust in Him. And again, behold the children. Behold, I am the children which God hath given me. You see... I'm going to put my trust in Jesus Christ because one of these days He's going to present me to the Father and I will be accepted not because of who I am but because of who Jesus is. Can we say amen to that? The first thing we realize about fatherhood is you have to have children. God wants us as His children to celebrate 
His goodness and the salvation He gives us. Can we say amen to that? Will you, will you ask God to help you to sing as well as you can on Sunday mornings? Because that is one of the ways that we give glory to God. That's one of the ways that we identify with Him. That's one of the ways we claim that relationship with God. I can sing the song, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine, because Jesus saved me. How about you? And victory in Jesus, because it's not my victory. It's not me waving the sword. And I've heard some people criticize that song, Hold the Fort, but you read those letters to the churches. And several times Jesus says to his church, Hold fast that which thou hast. Man, I'm waving that answer back to heaven. By thy faith, by thy grace, we will. Amen? You see, children. Children is a wonderful thing. Someone said, insanity is inherited from your children, right? It goes backwards. I don't know if that's true or not. I'll tell you the reason I believe that God gives us children is so we can begin to understand just a little bit of what God puts up with from us. So the next time your kids are pushing you to the brink, Stop and think of what you've done to God. It'll give you some grace. It'll give you a greater respect and understanding for who God is. Uh, Turn over just uh, a few chapters here to chapter 12. See, the first thing about fathers is children. What's the second thing about fathers that people know? How about chastening or discipline? Oh, my. What an evil world in this society in which we live. You are not supposed to discipline your children. You're supposed to let them grow up as, uh, 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 and their hearts will direct them. Yeah, their heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And you wonder why we're in the mess that we're in. We, we live in a world that's run by children. I, I, I want my rights. Uh, that doesn't fly very well in the Montoro household. You lost all of those when you were born. Amen? Because dad has some responsibilities. And... Let's read this passage here. Of course, the first four verses are very famous, and we preach on them. I preach on them here a lot because that's what we're supposed to be doing is running that race. But if you want to run that race the way God wants you to, look at verse 5. And ye have forgotten the exhortation, which speaketh unto you as unto children... My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord. (coughs) Excuse me. Nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. 
and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much more rather be in subjection unto the Father of the spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for a prophet, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Do you get what's being said here in this passage? This is, this is not complicated. You know what? It is easy to forget that God, as our Father, has an obligation to straighten us out. And it's not supposed to be pleasant. Someone says, well... How do you discipline your child without abusing them? And, and let me tell you something. There's no lower down scoundrel upon this face of the earth than, than, a, than a man or even a woman who will abuse and bruise and hurt their little children. There's, there's, there's no excuse for that in, in this world in which we live. But... I'll tell you, growing up, I felt like I was abused a few times. But as I stop back and look on it, I should have felt that way. Because I was a rotten little kid. And if you weren't, well, I'd like to meet the perfect person after church. You just introduce yourself to me and let me know about that. But most of us deserved a whole lot more punishment than we got. How many raise their hand and say, I'll give testimony to that fact. Chastening is not supposed to be pleasant. Parents, can I challenge you? Do not reason with your children. They, they don't need reasoning. They need authority. They need to understand. Hey, do you obey God because He makes sense? Can I ask you what makes sense about showing up on Sunday morning and singing songs that were written 200 years ago and listening to some guy yell at you for 45, 50 minutes? Does that make sense? But how many would raise a hand and give testimony and say, it works? Hello? It works. You know why it works? Because God set it up that way. He, he's got a right to tell us what to do. When I was a young preacher, I would often say, well, I'm not here to tell you what to do. I, I don't say that anymore. I am here to tell you what to do. 
Because God said so, not because I said so. I've lived long enough to watch what happens to people who disregard what God says in His Word. It's not pleasant. And you cannot get around God's standard of righteousness, my friend. Oh, you may get away with it and get away with it. But the Bible tells us one day we're all going to stand before God. And you're either going to be judged as children or judged as enemies. Woe unto them that stand before that white throne of Jesus Christ at the end of the tribulation period, the end of the millennial kingdom is there will only be one sentence that is given. Eternal separation from God in the lake of fire that burneth with brimstone forever and ever. It is the baptism of fire which is spoken of by John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 3. Don't, don't listen to the TBN crowd. You don't want the baptism of fire and of the Holy Ghost. Baptism of fire is in the lake of fire. It's eternal damnation. And the baptism of the Holy Ghost is eternal salvation through the power of God, through our brother, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen? God must discipline us. Don't despise God's discipline. By the way, don't despise your father's discipline on this earth. You learn. The Bible tells us that if we're legitimate children, if we're rightful children, if we have a right to the family name, we're going to have to be corrected. You know why? Because we're not smart enough to know what we ought to do. Who would make that claim? Not me. I want God to direct my life. And I am standing before you at 53 years old. My entire life has been about being a pastor and starting this church right here. I'm not having a midlife crisis, let me tell you. I got too much to do. And, and there's too much purpose that has happened because of what God has done in my life. I'm not quitting. I'm not slowing down. In fact, if, if the truth really is realized I, I'm doing more now at this age than I ever was before. It's like, Lord, and he just says, hold on. Okay, I, I, I can wave the answer back to heaven. I'll hold on to that Bible. I'll just keep doing what's right. But you know, I, I still need God's disciplining hand in my life. How about you? You see, He is chastening us. He is correcting us. You say, how do you know it's God's correcting hand? 
Number one, it hurts. Number two, it moves you toward God. Those are the two principles there of chastening. So if you find yourself in a place in life where things just aren't the way they ought to be, maybe you ought to take note and maybe God is placing His chastening hand on the seat of your education, as they might say, and giving you a little pain in the appropriate area to move you into the right place. You know why parents do that? Because they love their kids. I I want my children to be able to move about my house and not blow the place up because they like to play with the stove. Well, I, I taught them, you don't touch the stove. Not until you're old enough to do and, and to learn how to cook. And, and you don't touch sharp knives until you're old enough and trained enough to know what to do. What parent wouldn't do that for their children? And all this was accomplished without having to put my child in a chair and say, now this is your special time. Now you just sit there. We, we got it done. And as earthly fathers, we can only discipline in the direction that we have. But God is never misplaced in His discipline. God's discipline is only to direct us in the way that would please Him. I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. You see, discipline, chastening, is for children. By the way, I don't discipline other people's children like I discipline my children. I do not have that responsibility, number one. And number two, you can get yourself in an awful lot of trouble stepping outside the lines of authority that God has established. You have to stay within those lines. You follow God's lines of authority. God only seeks in our life what is best. And if you have no earthly father, if you uh, uh, do not have that relationship with a proper father here on this earth, God will step in and he will do what is necessary. But you've got to let him. It has been 38 years since I've been able to celebrate Father's Day with my earthly father. That's a long time. But I'm going to see him when I get to heaven again. And I'm going to be so thankful for what he gave me for the few years that we did have together. My dad taught me the meaning of two words, no and now. And he worked very diligently to teach me the meaning of those two words. 
And if I stop and think about it, I can still feel some of the uh, effort that he put forth to help me understand those words. Uh, it is burned in my memory, I might say, in a few other places as well. But uh, the simple truth of the matter is, discipline builds character, does it not? What's the uh, adage of our day? If you can't have character, at least you can be one, right? Uh, that is the pledge of the millennial. Oh, please. Could we not move past that? Having character. You know what character is? It's being right when no one is watching. That's what character is, is it not? It's what you do when nobody else is paying attention. Matthew chapter 5. And let's just read verse 45, and then we'll go back and pick up the context here. This is from the Sermon on the Mount. Verse 45 of Matthew chapter 5 tells us, "...that ye may be the children of your Father, which is in heaven." For he maketh his sun to rise on the evil and the good, and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. You know what the author, uh, what Jesus is preaching here, as Matthew is recording it? My dad put it this way. He said, your last name is Montoro. And you know what that means to the world? What, Dad? Nothing. Oh, I thought it was important. He said, but it means something to me. And you're going to behave like my son. Or you're going to regret it. I'll tell you what. I didn't want my dad regretting that I was his son. Jesus is saying here, listen, I, you are the children of God. That happens when you're born again. Amen? Children, God is going to chasten you. He has predestined you to be conformed to the image of His Son. And by the way, it's going to take a lot of improvement in most of our lives for someone to confuse us with the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? But here Jesus is telling us, I want you to live in such a way that you can display the fact that you are related to me. That you are my children. Now let's pick up the rest of this here. It says here in verse 43, you've heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. That ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven, for he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sendeth rain on the just and unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? And if ye salute your brethren only... 
What do ye more than others? Do not even the publican so? Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. What is the number one attribute of God? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. For without faith it is impossible to please God, please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe what? That he is. That's the number one attribute of God. His existence. His eternality. The fact that he has no beginning and no ending. What's the second? And that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. That God is good. You know, what Jesus was speaking at here, and it was addressed in the Sunday school lesson this morning. The Jews would not talk to people who were not Jewish. They would not even address them. You can still go into some neighborhoods today and get treated that way. Not only by Jewish people, but by people of other ethnic groups. If you don't match them, they won't talk to you. Should God's people be like that? Hello? No. We should be equal opportunity offenders. Because the gospel's offensive, is it not? Now, don't be purposefully offensive. Don't, don't be needlessly offensive. There are some people that have taken this idea and they're just over the top. The, uh, I met a, uh, heard a story of a guy. He's, he, a pastor actually said he drove into his church and there parked in the church parking lot was a car. And on top of the car was a big hand-painted sign posted there. It said, the Pope is a dope. Now, I'm glad we don't have a parking lot. We'll never have to worry about that. But if somebody did that, the first thing I'd do is rip the sign off and hand it to them. That's, that's not what we're about. What we're about is sharing people the fact that no matter where you come from, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, if you'll come to my big brother Jesus, he'll save you the same way he saved me. That makes us brothers. Regardless of what color you are and how many, uh, whatever you have done, whoever you are, See, this is the great evil of Calvinism, is it not? They teach that Jesus only died for those people who are saved. What does that make the God of the Bible? Exactly the opposite of what Jesus was preaching about in this chapter here. God is good to everyone. You don't go to hell because God chose you to go to hell. You go to hell because you have personally chosen to refuse the goodness of God. You've refused what Jesus has done on the cross for you. But if you'll accept it, He'll save you. In fact, He will straighten your life out. How many could give testimony that God has changed my life for positive? Uh, does that mean it was pleasant? No, it probably hurt, didn't it? It was making you do things you didn't want to do. But now... You've learned to want to do them. Why? Because God changed you. The Lord is my shepherd. 
I shall not what? The reason I want this and I want that, that's not the primary meaning of the word. Do you understand that? I've never lacked anything I've needed to serve God. Now, sometimes he showed up a little later than I thought he should, but that's okay. He's the shepherd. I'm the sheep. He's the father. He's the one that's disciplining. And he wants me to behave like I'm his child. That's character. You see, that's the job of the father, is it not? Children. Chastening. Character. Now, let's go to 2 Corinthians, and I'm going to try to have you out on time today. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, one of the greatest and yet most neglected promises in all the Bible. Let's just read verses 17 and 18, and then we'll put it in its context here. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. And touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. How many of you see how great a promise that is? God says, I will be a father unto you. And ye shall be my sons and daughters. What? What an incredible promise that the God of heaven says, I'm going to receive you. I'm going to bring you into my family as my children. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to discipline you. I'm going to build character. But what makes this promise real? Our last word is a choice. See, read the rest of the chapter. If you go back, we won't take time to do it all here, but verse 14 says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Verse 16 What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore? You see, you can have a father. He can be the man that produced you physically. He can discipline you. He can try to build character in you. But there's no relationship unless you choose there to be one. You have to work together. Now, see, that doesn't make itself apparent when a little child is living in the home. This is what happens when you move out on your own. You begin to make choices. And those choices ought to reflect 
the relationship that has been built with your father. I've often heard people say, well, didn't God give you a brain to think? Of course he did. Well, then why do we have to do everything the way the Bible says? Excuse me? Who saved you? How are you getting to heaven? Who forgave your sins? Who is faithful and just to continually forgive your sins even after you're saved and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness? Who comforts you when the burdens of this life threaten to crush you? Who gives you strength when you can't find it anywhere else? Why do I have to do it God's way? Because He's God, that's why. How hard is that to figure out, my friend? You wonder why I get so upset when I talk about Christian rock and roll music, contemporary music. Because it's a blasphemy to my father. I don't go to the devil and borrow his garbage and offer it to God and say, Will you accept this, please? I'm not going to go to God and say, listen, you you put divinity in me. I want you to fan it into a flame. I want to realize, I want to actualize my inner champion. What a bunch of garbage that is. I want God to save my sin-sick soul. How about you? And because he did, I want to follow him and I want to live. But if I'm going to really enjoy the fellowship of the Father... If I'm going to enjoy the greatest blessings that God has for me, I I need to make choices that are in agreement with the character of my Father. And when I do that, He says, I'm going to receive you. You're going to be my sons and daughters. I'm going to extend that protection and that care that I have for you throughout all eternity. You know, the greatest blessings of being a father come after your children are grown up. After they begin to make decisions that determine their life. And when they will say, I'll make a decision based on what I learned as a little child under my father's direction. One of the greatest ways I can honor my father, and this just may sound silly to you, but it's true. My father asked me, Just a month or so before he died, he said, as long as you're my son, he said, I want you to promise me you'll never do three things. I didn't ask him what the three things were. I said, Dad, whatever you say. He said, I don't want you to drink alcohol. He said, I don't want you to smoke cigarettes. And he said, I don't want you to ride motorcycles. Now, that's what my dad said. Now, I don't know that I would classify riding motorcycles 
in the same as the first two. But I'll tell you what, I've never ridden one. You know why? Because I want to honor my dad. And I've talked to all my sons and daughters. I said, I don't want you riding motorcycles either. Because most of them have acquired my great ability for coordination and all of those things. And you just don't belong on a motorcycle unless you can actually have a very astute hand and eye coordination and do four things at the same time. That's just not me. And none of my kids have inherited that. And therefore... I think it's a really safe and father-honoring truth to avoid motorcycles. I don't think we have to spend a lot of time on the other two things now, do we? But when you make life choices that are based on what you learned from your father, you honor your father. See, that's why you ought to be in church on Sunday morning and Sunday night and Thursday night. You know why you ought to be in church? Because it honors your Father. And by the way, it makes you separate from the rest of the world, does it not? Wherefore, come ye out from among them and be ye separate. That's why... Our music ought to be separate. That's why our thought process ought to be separate. We ought not seek the things of the world. You cannot serve God and mammon, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. My friend, four words this morning that deal with Father. Children. Can't be a father without children. By the way, if you want to be a legitimate father, have legitimate children. That's all that needs to be said there. If you're going to be a father, you got to take responsibility for the bringing up of those children. That's chastening. That's called discipline. Training. Bringing them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. The goal is character. How often do they say, like father, like son? How is that usually referred to? Dad was an alcoholic, son's an alcoholic and a drug addict. That's how that normally goes now, isn't it? Dad spent time in jail. The boy spends time in jail. How about dad spent time in church and loving the Lord and his kids love the Lord? How about that one? Can we try that? Can we ask God to help us understand that character, that behaving like we are the children of God is not a bad thing? Being different from this world in which we live, not striving for those same things. And when we actually can make choices that will change the way we live, they're based on what my father taught me. We're talking about God the Father out of this book called the Bible. Then I'm not going to waste my life. 
playing video games, living in a fantasy world, trying to figure out what things are, what I'm going to be when I grow up, uh, still boggles my mind. That 30-year-old man that his parents had to go to court five different times to get him thrown out of the house. Good night. But I want to challenge you, that's not the son's fault. That's the father's fault. But I'll guarantee this, I don't know this family, but I'll guarantee there was a mother in that family that was not interested in the father being a father. I'll guarantee that. Father can't be father unless mother helps. Unless she's willing to get out of the way. And stop trying to be in charge. You can't have two people in charge. you got to choose to do it God's way or it doesn't get done right. Now, I'm not here to stir up bad memories of bad fathers and all of this thing, but it's, it's going to happen on Father's Day whether I say anything or not. But I will tell you this. No matter how bad your experiences were with your earthly father, there's a heavenly father that's willing to step into that place. I remember as a 14-year-old boy standing there looking in the coffin of my father. And that verse was in my mind because God had put it there. He said, I'll be a father unto the fatherless. And I'm saying, God, you you took my dad away. I'm going to need you. God said, I already know about that. And I want to challenge you. He was always there. He always had somebody to push me in the right direction. I remember my Christian school principal literally grabbing me by the shirt and saying, You promised me you won't go to that college that you want to go to. It will destroy you. And I just looked at him blankly. He said, promise me because you're my friend. And I said, okay, Mr. Snowden, because you're my friend, I will not go to that college. I tell you this, your preacher wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for Mr. Snowden interjecting himself in my life in that way. I would have been destroyed by the college I had chosen. But I'll tell you what, God had a man there that pushed me in the right direction. Somebody says, oh, you want everybody to go to Heartland. If you want to serve God, if your goal, life goal is to be a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ in the ministry, that's the college I recommend. If you tell me that you believe God wants you to be a doctor or a lawyer or a teacher or one of those things, might not be a bad idea to take a year and go to Heartland and get a Bible degree. Just get a little training. Get out there and experience life away from your family in an atmosphere that's going to keep you heading in the right direction so that when you go to the secular college, the professor doesn't mess with your mind. 
that you have a little defense to protect yourself from all of this foolishness that is taught as truth today. What does philosophy have to do with accounting, my friend? But you cannot go to a secular college without taking philosophy classes. Because they're not trying to educate you, they're trying to condition you. Let me tell you something. If you've been saved any period of time at all, you have a responsibility to the God that saved you to start making life decisions that are in line with the character of God in the words of this book called the Bible. That's what Jesus is saying here. That's what Paul is telling the Corinthians. Wherefore, come out from among them and be separate. Touch not the unclean thing and I will receive you. I don't want to be accepted by the world. I want to be received by God my Father. And all God's people said, Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you. And we ask you that on this Father's Day that you would help us to understand some things about what you desire to do and how you desire to be a father to us. Lord, we in turn would take that to this world in which we live. But more importantly, Lord, that we would reflect back to you by making decisions in our lives that are in agreement with your word and your teaching. Lord, that we would be the children of our Father. That we would be received by you. That we would be your sons and daughters. And Lord, that we would be able to live in that care and that protection. Lord, help us. In this perverse in broken world in which we live. Let us keep a good relationship with you as our Father. And Lord, those that are fathers here, that they would endeavor to take the example of Almighty God and live it in their homes. Lord, we pray that if there be one here today that has yet to surrender in salvation to the Lord Jesus Christ, that they would realize that it is the work of the Father and His authority that commands us, if we would be your children, we must be born again. We ask, Lord, that you would work. In Jesus' name we pray. And as Andrew comes to lead us in the hymn of invitation, if you need to come and pray, the altar's open. If you're not sure.